We're going to be talking about the parables. We're going to be spending several weeks just going through the parables of Jesus. This is important and it's vital because uh, about one-third of everything Jesus said in the Gospels, He said in parables. And for us to ignore the parables, we're ignoring a very vital part of His ministry. Uh, There are things that he says in in his parables, things that are spoken that we need to embrace today and to look at about who not only God is, but who we are in him. Amen? Is it important to know who we are in Christ? It's very, very important to know who we are in Christ. Uh, So this morning, we're going to be talking about these things. Um, It's important for us to, to realize this, Matthew 13, it'll be on the screen Uh, Verse 10 says this, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has, has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see. And your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You say, why would you start out with this scripture? It's important for us, church, to realize the parables that are spoken by Jesus Christ, it's not nursery rhymes. It's not Aesop's fables. It's, while there's, there's a moral truth there, while there's a religious truth there, uh, Webster says that it basically, that it, that it, well, just let me read it so don't mess it up. It's a usually short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. Church, I don't believe that all the parables Jesus shares are, are fictitious. He's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. He's the Son of God. He's part of the triune Godhead. I believe He saw the prodigal son mouth off to his dad want everything and leave. I believe he saw the woman sweep the floor looking for a coin. I believe he saw shepherds go out after one sheep. It's not necessarily fictitious when it comes from Jesus. But what he does is he takes natural things that we understand to teach us supernatural things that we don't understand. He teaches us the things that are seen so that we might understand the things that are unseen. Do we agree on that this morning? That's the goal of Jesus. You say, well, why did I read that? Because I used to read this passage in Matthew 13 and I used to think, what's the point of Jesus sharing a parable with people that don't understand what He's saying? I used to look at it and I would think, why would He, why would he speak to them in some kind of a, a weird analogy that they can't grasp so that they can be blind? Why would He do that? Why would He say that it's been revealed to the disciples and not to them? Church, that's not what Jesus was doing. He simplified things. He spoke it in truth. And the people that heard it could not deny the truth that was being spoken. And the Pharisees even at one point said they knew that in the the parable that Jesus spoke, that He spoke it against them. So they got mad and they decided to try to find some way to kill Him. There was clarity spoken in the parable. 
There was understanding. There was spiritual truth. The disciples had it revealed to them because he would sit down and he would explain it intricately to them. He was explaining and revealing that he was the Messiah to them every day. But these people had closed their eyes to God. They had rejected the parables. And Jesus, we know in the scripture it says that he only spoke to them in parables at times. He loved them, but it wasn't done with an attitude that says, I, 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 I'm just going to say it in a way that you're not going to understand it. He said it in a way that was clear. He said it in a way that would cause the hungry to dig. He said it in a way those that were seeking would continue to seek and say exactly like what the disciples did and say, Lord, what exactly did you mean when you said this? You see, when he would speak in a parable, it was really out of love. And it was out of a genuine heart, not so that the truth would be hidden, but the truth would be revealed. But what happened was, while the truth is being revealed, it calloused their hearts because they rejected it. Jesus loved them. He was prophesied as being the one to come and teach with parables. Uh, Psalm 78 says, O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. Church, parables are shared with children. It's simple. All of our Sunday school classes will share the parables, will focus in on what's happening and what this means about Christ. Because it's a visual example, it's, it's easy to understand. Like a father would sit down and say, Son, do you see this seed? If I take this seed and I plant this seed in the ground, it's got to die first. But then it's going to grow. And when it grows, it's going to produce 20, 30, 60, 100 times. And begin to start speaking the spiritual truth of that parable. And all of a sudden, the child sits down and starts to understand why Jesus had to do what He had to do. All of a sudden, we start understanding things and seeing things in light of it. And here's my caution to us today. Probably when I said parables, many of you thought, Oh great, I've heard these a thousand times. They're elementary, Pastor Bob. They're for children. They're small. They're, they're so insignificant. They're, they're things that we've heard in little Bible stories from the time I was a little bitty. Give me some real meat. Listen, I'm going to caution you this morning. If a third of what Jesus said to us in the Gospels is in parables, I think there's plenty of meat there to be had. And the danger is, is that we in our wisdom begin to look other places and start to look for deeper theologies and then all of a sudden we start building theologies on things that aren't really there. And we start building wisdom on things that aren't really there. And we start building ourselves up so much till one day we become like Israel, till we become like the Pharisees. And all of a sudden, our attitude is the same as it was in Ezekiel's day when he confronts them and he starts telling them of their idolatry, their adulteries and the things that they had done. And this is what their response was in Ezekiel 20, 49. It says, he says, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, they are saying of me, isn't he just telling parables? Isn't he just telling parables? Woe to us, church, if we get someday down the road and we start looking back at the stories and the parables that Jesus said and we treat them as though they're small. Because here's what it says in Hosea. Hosea 12.10 says, I spoke to the prophets, gave them many visions, and told parables through them. In the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets with parables. Why? Because He loves His people enough to reveal who He is. 
He loves His people enough. I can tell you this, church. Why would Jesus tell parables? Why? Because we already know that He's seen the Father. And you and I cannot fathom the Father. You and I cannot understand the Father's plan. You and I cannot sit down face to face with God and get it. It's impossible. He's too holy. He's too great. He's too majestic. He's too wonderful. Jesus had to come in flesh that we could see, understand, hear, smell, touch, taste, whatever you want. He had to come and He spoke to us in a way that took things we understand so that we might understand the things that we don't understand. He loves us. He loves us. And this morning, I want to look in chapter 5 of Matthew. Something that Jesus said. We're going to begin in verse 13. Some would say it's really not a parable, but it's a parable type comparison that we can look at and, and begin right here to see who we are. Matthew 5.13 says this, You are the salt of the earth. <clears throat> But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You may say, Pastor Bob, oh great, we've, I already know all your points. Another wasted day in the house of God. First of all, you don't know all my points. Secondly, unless you were here at first service. <laughs> you too. No. Here's the danger of that. We already know it. We already know it, Pastor Bob. But God loves us enough to reveal that He has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And before we even start, I want to say this to you. He has said, you are salt and you are light. You are salt and light. He didn't say, Pastor Bob's salt and light alone. He didn't say, say that Pastor Sam's salt and light to the teenagers. And he didn't say that you are the salt and light to Sunday school. And, and look around and say, well, I can't be salt and light because I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not this enough. Listen, we live in a generation of people that always say, I can't. Because. I can't. Because. There's a lot of people that are Christians that walk around with a defeated mentality and say, because of my cat past, I can't. Because of this, I can't. Because I don't look this way or I don't speak that way. I can't perform that way. I don't have a purpose. And God says, you are salt and you are light. He didn't just say the beautiful, smart, intelligent ones because I'm proof that that's not true. Okay? It's true. He says, you are salt. You are light. And there's a purpose and a plan for you. Young person, if you've had a bad history, if you've had a rough life, if your parents have said mean things about you or over you, if you've had it perfect, well, it doesn't matter. God looks at you and says, you are salt. You are light. I have a purpose for you. Older person, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young we are. God has said you are salt. And you are light. And this morning, we're going to find out, first of all, how we become salt. How is salt produced? Then we're going to talk about the uses of salt. And then we're going to talk about the warnings of salt and light. 
How is salt produced? First and foremost, there's three different ways where salt is produced. I did some research. I like doing research. <clears throat> three ways salt are produced. Number one is, is mining. You mine rock salt. You dig down into the earth, you dig out rock salt, and you pull it out, and then it gets crushed. And then after it's crushed, it's, it's, it's got a further uh, production where it goes and it uses it for deeper uses and more purification, so on and so forth. It's a mining process. And when I read that, I felt the Spirit of God speak to me and say, Bob, you are salt. You had to be taken out of this world. You had to be dug out of this world. The filth, the nastiness, the grime in your life had to be taken off of you. I made you salt. Amen. I took you out and I made you useful. I broke you. Anybody ever here been broken before? Ever been crushed to where God could make us useful? Humbled so we could be useful? And then have to enter into a further purification process to be even more useful? The second one. Second way, which is the, the most historic way, the oldest way of producing salt, is, is called solar evaporation. And what they do is they take water and they put it in these pools, uh, ocean water in these pools, and the pools are exposed to the sun and they're exposed to the wind. And over time, the water evaporates, leaving behind salt. And as I read that, I felt God speak to me and say, See, Bob? See, you've got to be separate. You've got to be taken over to side for the purpose. I have got a plan for you. I've got a goal for you. I have a life for you. But when it's there, I, you also have to be exposed to the sun. S-O-N, son of God. You've got to be exposed to me through the word and you've got to have the wind of the Holy Spirit to cleanse and purify you. And when I'm done purifying you, you know what's left over? You, salt, usable for my kingdom. The third way? It's called vacuum evaporation. Through vacuum evaporation, this one's really cool because they take that rock salt, they take a form of salt that's not pure, a form of salt that is not good, and they take it and they dissolve it into water and make a brine solution. And then they take that brine solution and they put it to fire. And after it's in the fire, the water boils and the water evaporates until what's left. Only that salt is purer than its original form. Are you seeing the picture, folks? Are you beginning to see the picture of this? That we ourselves, we have this mindset of what religion is. We have a religion that's good enough. We have an idea of Christianity that maybe has got some impurities in it and this is good enough. And God wants to take us to a place of purity. So He puts us and He dissolves our ideas. And our idea of what Christianity is is gone. And then He puts us into the fire. And the fire of, of the fiery trials and the fire of His Holy Spirit burns out all those impurities until what's left is a purer form of salt that's even more useful. You see, my friends, God, through His blood, through the blood of Christ Jesus, has pulled us out of this earth. Through the Son of God has also evaporated the filthiness in our lives. Through the Holy Spirit and through the trials of our lives is helping us to be purified day by day by day by day. Praise God that I'm salt. Thank you, God, that I'm salt. He said, well, Pastor Bob, you also say we're light. We are light. But you know what's neat about light? You can't produce light. You and I and ourselves cannot produce light. Just like salt can't dig itself out of the ground, an outside force has to do it, you and I cannot produce light. Now, a few years ago on a Christmas, our Christmas party when I was doing youth ministry, we had a black light dodgeball. <laughs> All the dodgeballs painted fluorescent orange and green. 
black lights all around the court, white tape on the floor so the white would glow. The balls were painted so when they get hit with the, the ball, it'd either be a green or an orange because it was cracking off, the paint was. Everybody had speckles glowing all over them. Cody Kidwell, my nephew, shows up in all white. I said, what are you doing? I said, show up in black. Nobody will see you. You won't get hit. He goes, oh, no. He said, I want to glow. I said, buddy, you're going to glow. You're going to be an easy target. He said, uh-uh. He said, I'm going to destroy everybody. I don't remember if that happened. I was too busy trying to protect the black lights from the dodgeballs. But anyway, we have this mentality that we want to glow. But church, when the light went off, he didn't glow. We cannot produce light in ourselves. Light has to be given to us. We may be salt, but light is something that has to come from another source because mankind does not just naturally glow. I don't care what the New Agers say about auras all around us and all that stuff. You've got, you got a pink aura, Pastor Bob. You've got a crazy mind. Get out of my face. <laughs> we don't glow, folks. The light of the power of God gets placed in us. It's a gift from God. He purifies us as salt and then he places his light within us for a purpose and both of these things have a purpose which we're, we're going into right now what is the purpose for salt what is the purpose for light first of all just to get it out of the way so you guys can check off your first assumption of what one of my points is is that salt is a promise for preservation salt is used as a preservative. Now, we, we all know this. How many of us like beef jerky? Pastor Sam, put your hand up. He, likes, he doesn't like beef jerky. I told him in the first service, he needs to like beef jerky. He needs to get saved. <laughs> beef jerky. Hallelujah for beef jerky. Anyway, I like teriyaki. I, uh, anyway, it's a good low-fat food, high in protein, full of salt. <laughs> but anyway... What salt does when you put it on meat for beef jerky, what it does is it dehydrates the meat. And it slows down the decay process so that the, the bacteria can't come in and destroy the meat. Jesus said, you and I are the salt of the earth. Think about that for just a second. You and I help preserve this earth. We help preserve this earth with some joy, with some peace, with some righteousness, with some holiness, with some truth. That's what God has called us to do. We are not to allow, folks, the, the bacteria of unrighteousness to fill our homes. We're not called here to allow the bacteria of sin to fill our lives and make an excuse for it. You are salt. God has called you to preserve this earth. You say, how can I preserve the earth? How can I preserve the earth, Pastor Bob? That doesn't make any sense that I'm a preservative. The cool thing about preservatives are that monosodium glutamate, monosodium glutamate has a bad name by the FDA now. Nobody likes preservatives in their food. Have you heard that three or four times in your life? Well, that food, that's not good for you. That's full of preservatives. Well, yeah. If it didn't have them, it'd be rotten. <laughs> Therefore, I think it's good for me. You and I, if we weren't here, this earth would be rotten. And everybody hates us. We are monosodium glutamate for the earth. They're saying, get the stinking Christians out of here so I can do whatever I want. The truth of the matter is, is we're good for them. They just don't like us. 
Come on, let's just get one great big amen for that one. There we go. Listen to this. The preserving power of, of our lives in this earth are not something we do ourselves. It's the work of the Spirit within us. And it works and coincides with God. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Church, if you and I were removed from this world right now, we know what's going to happen someday in the seven-year tribulation period. We know what's happened when the preservative, when the restrainer is removed, when the Spirit of God is pulled with, that, with His people out of this world. We know what's going to fall on this world. Wrath. Decay. Sin will be even more rampant. The light that is within you, you have been called to shine because God loves this world so much. He loves the people of this world so much that He not only gave His Son, He, he put you where you're at to love people. To, to shine the light of God and His love into this world. So preservation for this world and for the lost and, and, and for the church, so on and so forth. The church right here is the, is the next point within the preservation thing. It, it's, promise, it's a promise of preservation of the church amidst persecution. Listen to Numbers 18.19. God established a, a covenant of salt with the priesthood. It says this, Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings the Israelites present to the Lord, I give to you and your sons and daughters as your regular share. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. And what that means is, is that this portion of salt, this covenant of salt, is a salt or a promise of preservation for the priesthood. And God's saying that I've established you in this position and I'm not going to remove you. And that I'm going to allow you to minister in this. And we know that they did minister in the priesthood up to the point where Christ came. And now we have a priest after the order of Melchizedek that stands before God day in, day out for us. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Thank you. You amen like you worship sometimes. I say that in love because I'm just as bad. You and I must understand that if we are salt, He's passing on that covenant of salt with us to carry on that priesthood. You and I are now kings and priests in Christ Jesus. A promise of preservation. Let's look further. There is a covenant of salt for the kingship of David. Second Chronicles 13.5 says, Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? A covenant of preservation. Tell me, is the kingship for David going to be preserved for all eternity someday? It is going to be preserved. Look now, in light of all this, look at Matthew 5 again. Back up to verses 11 and 12. As he finishes up the Beatitudes, listen to what he says. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You say, what does that have to do with this? Following this, Jesus says, you're salt. I will preserve you. Church, listen to me. The church of God cannot be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. Well, Pastor Bob, I've seen a lot of empty old dead churches. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Believers in Jesus Christ, this gospel will not be destroyed from this earth, folks. There's preservation. 
The people that were, were given as salt, you and I, have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it will not be stopped. I don't care how many terrorists fly in planes into buildings. I don't care how many terrorists plant bombs. I don't care how many Muslims or any other religion tries to destroy Christianity. They cannot destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's preserved. It's preserved by a salt covenant with the Messiah. We are the salt. You can't stop me. And even if you try, just like they destroyed the Twin Towers, what's standing there now? A cross. Yes. Mocking the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't kill me. The church is preserved amidst trials. We need not walk with our heads downcast, feeling abandoned by God when we face persecution. Leviticus 2.13 says this, Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. Why is it important to have salt with all of our offerings? Church, it's important for us to understand that sacrifice and suffering is a part of Christ. And if all the Old Testament offerings and all the Old Testament things are a sign of things to come, and the Old Testament offering, grain offerings and praise offerings and fellowship offerings all had to be seasoned with salt, then we know and understand that if that's going to go through the fire, then the salt's got to go through the fire with it. Jesus said to take up your what and follow who? Take up your cross and follow me. Why? Because we're the salt of the burnt offering. He is the sacrifice. We are the salt. We are part of what He is doing. We are connected to His sacrifice. If people hated Him, they're going to hate you too. And if you don't like that, you're not salt. I'm not saying I love it. But if it causes you to lose faith, it causes you not to want to be with Christ, you're not salt. We are a part of the sacrifice. We must take part in His sufferings because if salt had to be a part of the sacrifice, if it had to be a part of the offering, then we have to be a part of it. Here, lastly, and we're going to move on quickly here in just a second. This last one's good. This one excites me. Salt has also been used as a sign of victory over the enemy. Judges 9.45 says this, All that day Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he had captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it. Not saying everything Abimelech did was right or wrong, but listen to me. Salt scattering after the victory. After the victory, salt scattered as judgment upon those that were just destroyed. Standing in their face, throwing the salt around, saying, see, this is judgment against your land. It's now desolate. Jesus said, you and I are the salt of the earth. Come on now. You and I are the salt of the earth. Before he ever went to the cross, he said, you are the salt. You are what I'm going to scatter over this earth to spit in the enemy's face and say, see, you lost. Amen. It's over. <laughs> your destruction has come at this cross and the salt followed the sacrifice into it, and now it's scattered everywhere for you to look around and to say, I am defeated. The enemy looks at you, church, and sees defeat. That's why he hates you so much. That's why he despises you. That's why he despises me, attacks me constantly. Why? Because he hates it. He's defeated, 
And you and I stand in front of Him, mocking Him just like the cross at the Twin Towers down there at Ground Zero, mocking the enemy, saying, hey look, you're defeated. It's over. You can fight all you want. You can attack my family. You can attack my church. You can attack me personally. You can do whatever you want. But it's over. Even if you take my life, so what? It's over. You're beat. You're defeated. You cannot win. I put salt. Jesus said, look, look, I throw Brian and Michelle Hughes out there. Look at that, Satan. I throw Pastor Sam and Amber. I throw John and Ginger. I throw Chuck and Reetha. I choke. And look, at he's throwing them all out there. And now the enemy's standing there going, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. We thought we killed him. We thought he was going on the cross. Now he's raised again. And there's all these people everywhere. I am lost. Scattered salt. I can picture like the little Morton salt thing where the little girl's just kind of pouring it out and walking around. Some of you will never look at Morton salt the same again. I hope not. I hope you look at it and say, Satan, you're defeated. <laughs> and people say, oh, oh, you spill salt, you've got to throw it over your left shoulder. Bad luck. No, my friends. Only bad luck for the enemy. Salt's a good thing. Salt's a good thing. And y'all's good salt. I love you. And God has got a plan and a purpose for your life. Not to just sit where we're at to do nothing. Salt that is stuck in the salt shaker is useful for nothing but to look at. He's called us to be sprinkled. Amen? Lastly, as I close, there's a couple of warnings in that scripture I want to look at just briefly. Matthew 5, 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but... Everybody say, but. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. The first warning is, is if you're going to be salt, you cannot lose your saltiness. Take seriously who you are in Christ. Also, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. We're warned, church, not to hide the truth that is within us. Effective salt is pure salt. As Amber comes, I'm just going to close this out real quick. Salt that is usable is pure. Pure sodium chloride. When sodium chloride salt has other elements involved with it and intermingled with it, it ceases to become pure salt. And salt, when it gets intermingled with other elements, loses its flavor. It loses its effectiveness. You can't take salt that's not pure and try to preserve meat or anything else. It's not good. It's only good to be trampled. You say, what does that mean? Impurities in our lives makes our ministry ineffective. And I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you are you know, just a lay person in the church. I don't mean to say it like it's a small thing. If you are working at your job, you are there as a pastor for that place. I'm telling you. If you are intermingled and mixed with impurities and your life is ate up with sin and you look around and you wonder, why God, isn't this ministry taken off that I thought was going to happen? Well, probably you're ineffective because your sin is eating you up. 
Probably the reason nobody wants to hear you and every time you speak, all they do is walk all over you and your words have no power is probably because your salt's not pure. Friends, we've all been there. We've all been in moments of hypocrisy where we've said and done stupid things and, and then we pay for it later. Is that true? It's true. And we're never going to be absolutely perfect and pure. A life, a life cycle of, of re, re, uh, repentance and, and growth in Christ and, and sanctification is going to happen our entire lives. That's going to happen. That's okay. And we're never going to be completely pure of sin until we stand before Christ someday. I realize that. But if you're aware of it, you need to get it out of your life. And how is it out of our life? By exposing ourselves to the Son of God. By exposing ourselves to the wind of the Holy Spirit. By allowing ourselves to go through the fiery trial and the fire of the Spirit of God to burn it out of our lives. That is how we are purified, church. And that is how we are motivated. That's how we are called. That's how we are sent. And that's how we are effective. Pretty simple. In the light that is within you. See, this, this pure and impure salt goes together with the light. It really does. Because a person that's impure and full of impurities, they're not going to be effective for the kingdom of God. So what are they going to do? They're going to put a lampshade over the light that's inside of their life. One, because they're embarrassed because they know what they do. They know who they are. Two, because they love the darkness. And a, a, a lamp that's shaded, a lamp that's, that's covered is a lamp that is ineffective for anybody else except for the person right there. It's dim. And Jesus said, you're not supposed to do that. You're to be a city on a hill. You say, what does that mean? A city on a hill back in those days, they didn't have street lights. They didn't have cars with headlights. They didn't have these things. If they're out on a street, on a road, a path that's dark and they're trying to find their way somewhere, they can see up ahead that city glowing and it's hope for them to know that they're getting to where they need to go. A beacon of hope, much, much like a lighthouse. A lighthouse on the ocean. How pathetic would it be to have a lighthouse on the ocean with that light shining and turning and turning and there's some poor sailor out there being battered by the wind and the waves trying to get in and the guy at the lighthouse is kind of embarrassed because his lighthouse is the only light shining in the whole town and he just, you know, he's kind of embarrassed by that. I think I'm going to just kind of turn it off for the night. Friends, you and I have a responsibility. It's not about being embarrassed by who's around us, what we're doing, fearful of what people might say. You are salt. You are light. You are purposed and called of God to reach the lost. Yep. That's right. And I can tell you this. The God we serve today is just as powerful as the one we serve in the Bible. Will you stand with me this morning? There are young people over here on this side of the room. I'm going to point Brandon out. Brandon, I'm going to point you out, buddy. It's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. I love Brandon. I've known Brandon since he was a little kid. Brandon got saved this last spring in our youth ministry, and I mean genuinely, truly saved. The boy did not look the same anymore. He didn't even look the same, church. His grandfather come to me and said, I don't know what you guys are doing at that church. But thank you for what you're doing in my grandson's life. He said, I've talked to him, I've talked to him. He said, but something happened there where God did a work. And he said, he is, he said, I looked at him and thought, who are you and what have you done with my grandson? And I said, I'll share that with Pastor Sam. There's another young man over here. I'm not going to name his name. He knows who he is. Even when I say this, I know that. He's come through a lot and he took a huge step this last Wednesday. And God is doing a work in his life. 
And people that might look at him and might look at others and say, that's an impossible work right there. I'm telling you that my God, our God, is a God that saves. Our God is a God that's powerful. Our God is a God that does the miraculous. He does, church. That He makes us salt. He purifies us. And He uses us. He puts His light in us. I sit over there with my dad over this weekend, Saturday. We did some painting and we were in the fellowship hall and I heard the story again. I've heard it several times about my grandfather. My grandfather. He wasn't an evil person. He, he didn't know Christ. And he'd go downtown to the show. But they were having tent revivals. And the cars were so packed down there that he got blocked in and he couldn't get out. And so he walked over to the tent revival to see what was going on. And then after a while, he realized the tent revival was more entertaining than the show was that he was at. So he stuck around the tent revival until a short time later, he got convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, goes home. He doesn't know what to do. So he runs out into the woods by himself. He gives his life to Christ and something happens from the house to the woods, back to the house. My Aunt Jean says he was never the same again. Everything was sin. There was black and there was white. There was no gray area. He threw the cigarettes out, not that cigarettes send you to hell. It was a bondage in his life. And he said, I threw it out and it was gone. And then all of a sudden now they're praying around the table, grabbing hands and the kids are going, what in the world just happened to dad? My grandfather helped establish this church. My grandfather. Why? Because our God is a powerful God. He's a powerful God. Why am I standing here today? Because of my grandfather. And my father and the people that have spoken in my life. Why? Because there's salt and there's light spread around this community. Why? When Alvin Deanna come up here and gave his life to Christ, a slobbering alcoholic, lost job after job after job, and people say, well, you know, it's alcoholism, you know, it's a generational curse, or it's this, or it's that. Listen to me. It was broken. He never touched another drop, folks. We don't have to live like this. It was broken. My God is a powerful God. And He has put salt and light in this earth. And you are that salt and light. You have been affected by salt and light. You are called by salt and light. You are called to be salt and light. My friends, we serve a great God. There's nobody else I want to serve. He's called me out. He's dug me out of this earth. He's purified me. He's made a brine with me. He's put me through the fiery trials and He's filled me with His Holy Spirit. And I'm purer and purer and more purer every day, every day of my life. Do you want to come worship Him around these altars with me? Do you want to serve this God today? If you don't know Him, it's as easy as crying out to Him and saying, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And you can be just as powerfully changed as my grandfather was, as Alvin was, as I am, as Pastor Sam has been, as many others have been in this room. Today is the day of salvation. Today you can get up new. Today you can be broken from bondages. Today you can be healed. Today you can be completely changed. Completely changed. I invite you to these altars to come meet my Savior. Would you come? Say, Pastor Bob, it's not an altar call that's specific. It's not about a salvation, a hand raise. No, it's between you and Christ. You know what you're in need of. And then after you give your life to Christ, please let somebody know so we can help you. Today's the day. If you just want to seek Him, our altars are open, folks. Come seek Him with me.